Good evening and welcome to the November 5th, 2018 Astoria City Council. Glad to see a lot of people here. Uh, roll call, uh, Chief Spalding. Thank you. Councilor Mendel. Here. Councilor Rouse. Here. Councilor Rouse. Here. Councilor Jones. Here. Mayor Lemire. Here. Thank you. <coughs> Our first item is a proclamation for the Bells of Peace Day. Whereas a century ago, 4.7 million American families sent their sons and daughters off to World War I, and whereas men and women from the city of Astoria, Oregon, served selflessly and honorably in World War I, and whereas 116,516 Americans, 34 from Clatsop County, gave their lives in the war, and more than 200,000 were wounded, and whereas the tolling of bells is a traditional expression of honor and remembrance, and whereas in November 2018 the world will commemorate the 100th anniversary of the armistice that ended the fighting in World War I at 11 a.m. November 11, 1918, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And whereas on April 6, 2018, the United States World War I Centennial Commission called upon Americans across the nation to toll bells in remembrance of those who served in World War I on Armistice Day, November 11, 2018. Now therefore, I, Arlene Lemire, Mayor of the City of Astoria, do hereby proclaim Sunday, November 11, 2018, Bells of Peace Day in the City of Astoria and I urge all Astoria residents to join me in acknowledging this event. Uh, Rosemary, would you like to come forward? Okay, I need to sign it, however. And Mayor, when you're signing that, maybe Ms. Johnson would like to uh, talk about the event. There's going to be an event this coming Sunday, and perhaps if you could let her speak to that. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Rosemary Johnson, 672 15th Street, Astoria. And thank you. Um, on November 11th, of course, is the 100th anniversary of the end of the war, and we have been restoring the Doughboy Monument which is the World War I Memorial here in Astoria. On Sunday, November 11th at 1 o'clock at the Astor Library Flag Room, which is the Veterans Hall, we will hold a ceremony to honor the end of the war and also to celebrate the restoration of the Doughboy Monument. We'll have uh, two speakers who will talk about the history of the United States in the war and on the restoration of the Doughboy Monument. Uh, we'll have light refreshments and a video and some flag ceremony. So we invite everyone to come and join us for that ceremony at 11, at 1 o'clock on the 11th. At 11 o'clock, we'll be hanging a wreath on the Doughboy Monument also. Thank you. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you. It's gorgeous. I have no idea it's going to be that beautiful. It really is gorgeous. And we're not done yet. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, uh, reports of councilors. Councilor Nimwell. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, <clears throat> this election has been really easy for me. All I had to do was vote, <laughs> and I just dropped off my ballot on the way here tonight. 
Um, I really want to thank everyone running for city council and mayor. Um, it's, it's not easy. Um, it's a real big sacrifice. And competition, uh, we've got good competition. We've got really solid candidates. Competition is probably causing the candidates a lot of anxiety right now, but it pushes people. It makes them, makes us stronger, and uh, I believe that it makes our, our democracy stronger as well. Um, I attended the Helping Hands Homeless Shelter open house and got to see the facility. Uh, it's something that's very needed in our community and uh, it seems promising uh, to have Helping Hands in Astoria, um, uh, an entity that is really uh, trying to help individuals um, who don't have homes um, solve whatever problems they might have to get them into long-term housing. Um, so that was really great to see. Um, and I think that's all, thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councilor Branson. Yeah, I thank you. Um, just a, a couple things, I was gonna mention the Doughboy just because I drive past it and it is looking good. It's really doing some nice work um, out there. I look forward to that uh, event. And uh, also attend, there's a, a Classic County's Comprehensive Housing Study, which was presented uh, at the Boynton Building this last week. And uh, I think it looks like a very good study. There are still some details and refinement. And if you didn't make that, uh, they're having another open house in Seaside at the City Hall on the uh, 13th. So uh, looking for feedback, input, and just it's good information. Uh, and then finally, I think it's tomorrow. We have Uniontown Reborn Open House at the Red Building at 5:30, uh, down by the West Mooring Basin. So that's more development, more making the city a, a better place, an opportunity to get your input and uh, take part there as well. And that's all. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Price. Thank you. Uh, I have two things. Um, one I think we'll be talking about in just a moment, but I've been hearing from residents about two public works projects. One is the progress at Bond Street, how that's going and is it going as was expected and is it really going to be wide enough for two cars to pass. And uh, the other is, uh, maybe I'll mention under our next uh, item on the agenda. Thank you. So Jeff Harrington is uh, prepared to be able to address uh, this question. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, the Bond Street project is on schedule. The um, project is scheduled. The, the contractor um, had um, 90 days to complete the project. It's scheduled to be complete in the first, I think, third of December. Um, and that'll be um, substantial, or that'll be uh, final completion, substantial completion, maybe about 15 days before that. But the wall is completely constructed um, without incident. We had one little, little small slab of dirt that came down that we had to uh, haul off in addition to the excavated portion of it. Uh, the contractor is currently working on um, the roadway, the concrete, the ADA ramps at the intersection of Hume. And um, he's hoping to pave. You know, we, we have a good window of weather coming up here. He was hoping to pave at 
and get enough concrete work done, they might be able to, but it's not looking good for that. So we'll have to wait till the next paving window after that. And uh, as far as the, the width question, um, the design width is 20 feet. And this is a diagram kind of giving you an idea. If you go back on Bond Street either direction and you account for the parking space width, this is actually a little wider than the traveled width in there. But of course, vehicles aren't always there. Um, just like with any of our streets, it's actually going to be um, just a little wider than the traveled way on 11th here if there was vehicle parks parked there, vehicles parked there. And this is used by the fire trucks. And, and typically on our, our narrow streets in Astoria, if there's a fire truck coming through, vehicles will, will pull over and yield to it. So a typical uh, passenger vehicle is about six and a half feet wide. The lanes are 10 feet wide. Um, it just looks relative to the rest of it. It is narrower. The reason it has to be that way is because um, we, we told you early on that we were going to minimize risk. The further, the wider we tried to make that and the less of the hillside we put back in, in the form of this uh, retaining wall, the higher the risk because there's less material holding the hillside up. And we absolutely do not want to take that risk. We've had a um, risk taken in another location that didn't turn out so well that we were all afraid of it happening anywhere else and we wanted to make sure that didn't happen. So the material was removed, the new wall was built, buttressing it back with uh, as much if not more mass, more weight, good drainage system, a solid mass of rock that's a lot stronger than that loose soil that was sitting there. So technically, uh, according to the geotechnical engineer's models, it should be stronger than what was there before. And that's our, our objective. And Jeff, just to clarify, there won't be sidewalks on the south side of the street, on the side where the no, there's No, there will not. Nope. Uh, I drive down Pier 39 frequently, <coughs> visiting a certain boat out there. And uh, I'm told that that pier, that uh, pier is 20 feet wide. And it's, it's interesting that uh, some people just don't believe that. And very often people wait at one end or the other for a car to come through, but there is plenty of room. Um, will there be any signage here that lets people know, you know, there's room for two, keep going? Or do you think that's necessary? Well, that's the idea of the, of the striping, is to taper, the tra tra taper them over. Um, and of course, this is, you know, this is a little out, out of scale. That, that stripe on there is probably not near that wide on the ground. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. You know, we have no choice on the location. You know, we can't center it. We can't ask the slide to jump, you know, half to jump across the other side of the road. So we're kind of stuck where we are by holding that north end. I think the striping will make a big difference. It, it will. And, and then also at the um, um, intersection of Hume and and um, Bond Street there, with the four-way stop, uh, people will stop, they'll be able to see it ahead of them and, and kind of understand what's going on. Coming from the other way, they have a long sight view of, of what's happening when they come upon it too. Okay, thank you very much for the update. Councilor Jones? Uh, good evening, Mayor. I would echo my uh, colleagues' comments about open house at Helping Hands and also the housing study. Just know if you haven't had a chance to look at the housing study, just go to your search engine and type in Clatsop County Housing Study and all the PowerPoints and graphs and preliminary parts of the study are all available online. I'll also note uh, last weekend, not this past, but a week ago, the Jazz Fest, the second annual Jazz Fest, and uh, it was wonderful concerts at several different locations, very inexpensive, free and high quality, and I hope, uh, I wish Bruce Watts great luck next year with the third year of Jazz Fest. And then lastly, also um, a week ago Sunday, the Lower Columbia 
Diversity Coalition and the Q Center held a joint meeting on uh, bullying and it was very a very big it was a full house that day and uh, it was very moving the comments people made who had experienced bullying in their lives and how it impacted them negatively certainly support the schools and uh, youth groups and others who are trying to bring awareness to that topic and help people uh, realize how negative bullying uh, the effect it has on people's lives thank you um, Yes, I took part in the ribbon cutting and the open house at Helping Hands, and uh, I too welcome this group coming to our community. They've shown through their work in four different counties in Oregon, 11 different uh, facilities prior to this one, that they really do good work. And so uh, I'm excited to have them here in the community. Um, the forestry tour was great. Um, uh, I, I love the fact that we have we have the ability to have the forestry tour, the fishery tour here, and it, it helps all of us who perhaps didn't grow up in those uh, fields but get to know that part of our community, and it's a, a still a very significant part of our economic uh, community. Um, Clatsop County Housing Study uh, uh, shows promise and uh, hopefully will help us to uh, figure out what would be the best uh, housing to build uh, and, and where. Um, and then I wanted to mention the celebration of life for Jake Jacob yesterday. He's one of uh, those folks in our community who, had, who gave so much of his uh, energy and talent uh, to this community. And uh, it, was, it was just a really amazing celebration and I think any of us would be happy if we had that kind of a celebration when we pass on. Um, it was a great one. So um, that's the end of my report but I would like to get um, if, if Chief Spaulding would give us an update on the homelessness. said last week in talking to Helping Hands that uh, I learned that their opening was imminent and based on that and looking at the weather reports we realized we had an opportunity to move forward on our plan that we've been discussing for quite some time now to post several of the campsites that we've been speaking of specifically 12. We uh, put our plan in place and we notified the host subcommittee of the plan and made sure that it was consistent with that, that, that subcommittee's wishes and uh, we heard that it was. We identified four locations. One of them was the Taylor Street um, Smith Point area. The other was the dead end of Franklin at 40th. The other was approximately 41st Street, beneath Erickson, uh, where the natural gas pipeline is, and then behind Columbia Memorial Hospital. So we know that those aren't all the sites in the city, and we keep hearing about additional ones maybe popping up. However, at this point, it's a significant challenge to deal with this logistically and, and on the human level. And so we decided we're just going to uh, tackle the first four initially. 
Um, before we posted the sites, we contacted two of the individuals in our community, homeless individuals, one of them, Michael Martin, who's here tonight, and also um, uh, Vernon Hall, and they were both willing and able to work with us, and we really appreciate their assistance because they've been out there helping. And we also knew that they could get the word out to some of the other individuals to let them know that they could start working on cleaning up some of their sites in advance. So working with our public works, we went out with uh, representatives from Recology who also um, offered to provide some dumpsters at four of these four locations and then the city also bought a lot of trash bags. We distributed those so we could get a head start on our plan. So last Friday, uh, officers went out and posted nine separate locations, nine out of the 12 where ones were actually identified that there may still be people that were habitating there. A couple of sites were simply just piles of trash. They provided the 24-hour notice, even though there was no intention to come back after 24 hours. The 24-hour notice, we let everybody know, but on the notice, it would be like four days, which would be tomorrow. We provided contact numbers, a copy of the resource guidebook, and offered any additional assistance that we could provide at that time. We also uh, notified them of our intention to return, which would be tomorrow. A uh, slight wrinkle in that plan, and as of this morning, we received two separate notices from two of the individuals living up there that asked for reasonable accommodations. They gave us a form under the Fair Housing Act. Um, this is not really applicable to the forest lands, and it's not legally binding. However, with that being said, we don't want to get in the business of making determinations if somebody has a disability or not, and it's entirely possible they do. So based on that, we decided that we would give an additional three days and push this out to Friday. Our homeless liaison detective, Kenny Hansen, notified both of those parties and they were very happy to <coughs> some additional time and, and both of them said they would probably be out much sooner than that. So uh, we think we've resolved that um, little issue. Again, we decided that we're gonna make that offer to a couple of individuals we make the offer to all four. So based on that, we, tomorrow, we're still going to go out to a couple of sites where there are no longer any individuals at and um, remove some uh, property and start the cleanup since we have some crew available, also we have the dumpsters available. So on Friday, our plan is, uh, per our script, um, our Councilor Price will be making phone calls to some of these individuals that we have phone numbers for and seeing if there's anything else that, that we can provide them. Um, we are bringing a representative from um, Class of Community Action with us, and we're offering any assistance to individuals if they need transportation somewhere else, or bringing them to CCA, and eventually, potentially a referral to Helping Hands. So at that point, based on um, our resources available, we would be cleaning up the remaining sites um, with public works employees, and potentially some other volunteer employees, and uh, any personal property that we identify as personal property that isn't, hasn't been picked up at that point would be taken and held for 30 days and then returned to the individual if someone comes to claim it. So at this point, um, in terms of progress, one of the things I thought was encouraging when I spoke to Lane Bruce today at CCA was that she told me that she's keeping her own informal poll of some individuals that have come in to seek assistance. And she told me that they're trickling in, and at this point, about 10 individuals have come in to seek assistance from them. So I think that's extremely encouraging. Bird um, Hall, one of the individuals I mentioned earlier, that has now found housing. And I know uh, Michael Martin is going to go find a boat somewhere in Florida, so he's he's uh, moving on to Florida. So he's uh, again, I appreciate his assistance. So, <laughs> so um, 
again, we couldn't do this without some of our partnerships, such as Recology and Classic Community Action, and then a, a big shout out to our Public's Work Department and Jeff Harrington, because it's, um, this is messy, it's uh, not preferred work, and uh, just uh, a lot of extra work on their uh, part helping us out with this uh, extremely tough problem. So that's where we're at as of now. Thank you. Um, changes to the agenda. Mary German, for Council Advice. Yes, thank you. The other public works uh, project that I've been getting some questions about and concerns is uh, uh, the Waterfront Bridges project, particularly affecting the businesses uh, around 11th Street, and I see that a number of them are here uh, this evening. And so, Madam Mayor, I wonder if we could add uh, that to our regular agenda so that um, the, those people would have an opportunity to address us and let us know what's happening down there, what their concerns are. So would we make that the first item on the agenda uh, of the regular agenda? We can do that. Make it 7 a. <coughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Any other changes to the agenda? No other changes. Okay, then the first uh, agenda item is the 11th Street parking issue. Oh, the, actually the, the consent calendar. Oh, consent calendar. Sorry about that. Uh, the consent calendar is approved by um, a single motion unless someone wishes to uh, remove an item from the consent calendar. Has anyone asked for removal? No citizen request. Anyone on the council? Okay, could we have a motion to approve then? I move to approve the consent calendar. Second. Um, Mr. Harrington, roll call, please. Councilor Emmel. Aye. Councilor Bronson. Aye. Councilor Price. Aye. Councilor Jones. Aye. Mayor Lugan. Aye. Thank you. Okay, now we're going to the regular agenda item and items, and we will start with the 11th Street parking. Well, I just uh, have heard from a number of the businesses there. I see the Allens are here. Bill Spence is here with the barbecue place, and we have. Uh, the Naked Lemon is here, and uh, so I don't know if uh, we want to hear first a, a, um, a sort of an update of what's going on around 11th. I know that Cindy Moore sent out an email um, earlier this afternoon uh, with an update about a crane coming in, or if you want to hear from the public, however you wish to proceed. Cindy, why don't you come up and explain what's going on first? More assistant city engineer. Uh, I'll just get a project update. Um, so the since the contractor got on site, they've been working through a lot of submittals, a lot of paperwork. Um, I know I've heard from a number of people wondering what's going on because they don't see what's going on. Um, a lot of behind the scenes work, as well as um, building a whole containment area under each of the bridges. Um, what that means is they need to catch any material as they're demoing the surface so that it doesn't go into the waterway. And that consists of plywood, um, some plastic, and they have to basically build a whole structure underneath the structure to, to contain the materials. So that's been going on, um, kind of out of sight. You might be able to hear them if you're um, at one of the street ends. The, as I, as uh, Councilor Price mentioned, I sent out an email today. We're expecting the large crane to arrive on 11th Street um, sometime this week, hopefully tomorrow. 
Uh, and then in-water work um, will begin with the aisles being removed next week. Um, in-water work period, if you remember from our permit, is from November 1st through February 28th. So all the work that needs to be done in the water has to be done by February 28th. We don't dictate how they get there, but that's their deadline is um, that February 28th. <coughs> and then um, they need to have everything open back up by the end of May, the Friday before Memorial Day. Um, so we don't uh, dictate their schedule once we have those deadlines in place. The contractor right now is working four tens, so they're working Monday through Thursday. Respond to any other if you have any questions or people want to come up, I can respond to that. Okay, yeah, just want to wait. Did Jeff, did you have something you want no, to add? No, just in case a question came up. Oh, okay, okay. All right, if the two of you just will stay up there then and uh, we'll go ahead and take uh, public comment. And if you have anything on this item, he'll come up and state your name and your address, please. Uh, Phil Spencer, 107 11th Street right above the project is where I live and my uh, business is Smoke Bones inside Pier 11 directly across the tracks. Uh, thank you for allowing me to speak tonight. Uh, I'm a board member of CASA and I also volunteer for Iron Chef United Way uh, as well as helping out with the armory for Thanksgiving for the community. I'm here like the others affected by the construction project and even though Personally, my business isn't a year old and don't have the numbers to show the fiscal impact. I can assure you we have been affected uh, to the point where I'm picking up a part-time job and actively looking for another one. Uh, but that is what I gotta do to survive and that's fine. Uh, what I would like to say is to everyone here uh, is who this is really ultimately affecting in my pr perspective is uh, the city of Astoria. And everyone elected to make the decision for this action. Uh, this is supposed to represent the city. The discourse I've seen in the first 51 days of this project speaks volumes as to how the city feels and cares about small business, the entrepreneurs that make this country. Small businesses that are the backbone of our economy and have literally been cut off by a story with little to no regard as the impact on them. Starting with a company that has been chosen for this project, a non-local company that doesn't understand the true impact they're having on our community, and from what can be seen, a company that doesn't care either. Um, like I said, I live directly above it, and I see the lack of uh, expediency and efficiency. Um, every day, <laughs> the few days that they are working, and the few hours that they do work. Today, they were there from 7.30 in the morning to 11.30, and that was it. That's pretty much the extent that they work on Pier 11 um, when they're there. It was 7.30 to 11.30 and they're gone. So I'm going to do what I have to do in order to get through this period of time, but I want to know what is going to happen with this. I mean, is this the way that a story wants to be portrayed as treating new businesses, small businesses? as uh, the type of economy you wish to portray, or would you dismiss it as not important to let potential revenue go towards other cities, towns, and communities that are more welcoming if you need to make things work? I don't want to get into details. Okay, um, would it make sense to answer one of the yes. times that I'm part? And, and I can't remember, uh, if, I, if I miss anything that's covered, I'm going to do my best to answer. 
Um, first of all, we, we do things every day to care for our businesses in Astoria and promote business. That's our, that's our business. That's what we do. Um, but I want, I want everybody to keep in mind, especially people that are new to the community or new to the area, that weren't around when, when they saw this project develop over the last 10 years, 8 years, is that um, the, the first, thing that, first option that could have happened is we did not get the funding and these structures could not be maintained and they were closed down permanently and there was no access to these businesses. That, that was the number one problem that we faced. To um, overcome that problem, we worked really hard to get getting these projects on the National Bridge Inventory and getting qualified for funding, first of all, and then competed very hard for that funding. It's being, you know, competed. There's a lot of competition with the state. We had to go down to meetings and, and fight for this money. And um, as far as the, the contractor and, and being local or not, um, of course, everybody would prefer to have a local contractor, but it's an ODOT process. It's an ODOT project. We have no choice for it. They bid it, the low bidder gets the job, no matter where they're from. It's, it's, it's just the way it works. Um, did I miss any question? Any points? Well, Jeff, yeah. you know, I'm sitting here thinking, it sounds as though it, it, that we're trying to make life difficult for these folks, and uh, that's not really what, what this yeah. project is about. Uh, explain maybe why we're do, having to do these bridges. I understand why the bridges have to be done. I'm asking why there's no more uh, compensation from the city as far as signage, as far as directing traffic to us. In fact, what happened is the entire route has been directed two blocks away to where there's a virtual ghost town down there. And there's a sign that says road closed on the trolley tracks, which has never been a road. So that immediately just turns people around. I see this all the time. My window looks right out to Pier 10, and I see at least 300 people on those cruise ship days look down the thing and turn right around, not even looking, because it does not look inviting. It looks horrible, and there's nothing being done. We can't put signs up. We can't do any kind of, I'm basically just stonewall. There's no help. Cindy, talking about the details of all the efforts that, that she has made into trying to accommodate the businesses. But I'll just say from a supervisory standpoint, um, every time I go to look for Cindy to work on one of the other 20, 30 projects we have going on, she's tied up working on this project and lately working on the business plans or the, the accesses. Um, some of the things like the road close sign are out of our control. It's an ODOT standard sign. That's what they use. But I'll let Cindy give you some details on those specific efforts. Uh, all right, so um, the council, most of you have been involved in the process all along. Uh, we've been trying to keep people informed of the project and 100% agree that this is a disruptive project. Um, it's, uh, we're rebuilding some bridges, so we've done our best to um, inform the businesses that it was coming and work with them as we've gotten started um, and make resources available to them, including um, having a meeting with ADHDA and the chamber and the small business group. We have uh, recently put up additional signage um, at our cost that directs people the pedestrian path to Pier 11 specifically. Um, and the detour routes are dictated by, as Jeff mentioned, um, ODOT. So those are um, standard signs with requirements, strict requirements that they have to abide by. So those. That detour route does go around all of the construction sites. Are there any specific questions? 
Is, is there a possibility, I'm trying to think about the what's there exactly now, is there a possibility of, of uh, if, if you had like a happy sign with barbecue on it and smoke coming out saying, we're open, come in this way. Can you do things like that? Put it on the fence, put it somewhere that would be something more inviting than the standard businesses are open sign? Um, the city uh, story of stance has been that we are open to some signing options that don't have specific names on them, business names, because then we would be promoting specific businesses with public money. Um, we've had some meetings with the businesses about some creative alternatives for their signage. The Chamber of Commerce is actually coordinating uh, a sign that has logos on it. So that's going on, um, but I don't know what the status of that is. Yeah, I, I was specifically thinking of, of the businesses making the signs themselves or perhaps working with the chamber to find some money to help them make the signs uh, rather than the city paying to do something that uh, would, would seem to support a business, although we should be supporting businesses that we, uh, not by any malintent, but actually by good intent, are. Uh, uh, damaging their business, we're not doing it, but well, the project is doing it. I, I think maybe the bigger key, Cindy, is, and Councilor Rice, the city, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, is that the chamber was working on the on some signage and to be able to contact David Reed uh, and uh, tomorrow morning, and I can get some information, um, you know, to the council and coordinate back with the 11th Street business owner in terms of what's what's happening there to help expedite any any signage that may be going there. There's it was it was really something that the chamber was taking that effort on. Is if correct? Correct. The specific signs. So we did make, like I said, the signs that say specific to Pier 11 pedestrian route. Um, and we've also, in our discussions, we're open to some creative ideas, and I had Nancy Ferber, our city planner there, trying to figure out how we could still comply and maybe be creative um, with the businesses, but, um, and so the, those ideas are out there, they haven't been implemented, um, to my knowledge. Perhaps the Downtown Association could help as well. Is the Chamber still meeting at, at uh, meeting at the Web Dog? Sorry, Bruce. It's okay. <laughs> So one of the other things that he's implying too is that these contractors are not working very hard. Yeah, yeah. So you um, kind of talk about what their work schedule is and, and how that works. Yeah, you have to keep in mind that they're working on three locations at one time. So they might choose to be working at one site and then they'll work on the other site the other part of the day. There's no requirement that they have you know three parallel operations all going at the same time. Um, and once again, too, we cannot dictate their workload or or their you know, work rate, or how hard they work, or the perception of what they're doing or not doing, that's, that's up to them. They're the ones that have to complete this job in a certain time frame with a certain dollar amount per the state requirements that they were uh, contracted under. So why wasn't uh, the 11th Street Bridge, which is apparently the most notorious bridge, the worst bridge, why wasn't that put in to be fixed first? primary like the main project why wasn't that directed as to be taken care of instead of these two other bridges that have nothing at the end of them whereas this one pier 11 is yeah. affecting major 
I can answer that. Um, here, or, uh, the 11th Street structure has always been a priority because of the businesses. Um, there's been years when we have spent, uh, what, what year, last year, 185000 I think the majority of it went into 11th Street. Um, so it's always been a priority for the last you know, 20 years as far as repair work goes. Um, what, the strategy we came up with for approaching the construction is that we do every other bridge. We do three bridges one year and three bridges the next year so that every block would have access from a different way. If you, if you close 10th and 11th, obviously, then we really have something to complain about because there'd be no physical access to that whole block. So the strategy was to do every other one. We chose to do the odd numbers first because 11th Street was our priority as far as telling the contractor that he's got to do 11th before 7th and 9th. He's doing all three of them together, and there's a reason for that. It's called economy of scale. You can't, if he, if he came in and did everything to 11th, the first thing, the in-water work period would be over by the time he started the other bridges. So they're going to come in, they're going to set up three cranes, right? they're going to pull the decks, they're going to pull the piles, they're going to put the new piles in, and they're going to um, put these structures together in a manner that meets that short in-water work period. Um, otherwise, otherwise, if we did one a year, it'd be six years by the time you're done. That's just unacceptable to the businesses because another high priority for impacting the businesses was to get this done as quick as possible. And we went through a very lengthy exercise of just deciding what order they can be done in. Could they all, all six be done? We knew that couldn't happen in one year because you'd have to do them all in half the time that they're given to open them up and, and get, like say, for example, have, um, 11th Street would have to be done. If the in-water work period is November 1st to February 28th, which is basically four months, it'd have to be done in two months, which is physically impossible. And then the other one to open up before the other one can could be started in that number work period. Does that make sense? And there's going to be plenty of work that takes place after the February 20th deadline. They have to be out of the water. So they're going to have all three of them out of the water, and then they'll be finishing off the, the out of work, out of water work. It, it's a complicated project, and it's hard to understand. We understand that. That's why we've tried along the way to explain as much as we could to, to the people that wanted to sit down and listen. That's what we did. And it's, and it's important to understand too that there's there's really no way to avoid this. If we if we don't do this, then we don't run a trolley. We don't have traffic out there. This is mandated. I'm this well is, aware of that. This is or ODOT. And I think a lot of your concerns. Um, I mean, there's a certain amount that the city can do. It sounds like we're trying to do those things, but as far as uh, a lot of it, just had it's ODOT that you need to talk to if you have. So, well, I mean, if there's three, of this. three different bridges being worked on, why not have three different crews, one for each bridge? Well, so if if you get into this whole process, and Jeff could talk about this too to some extent, but there are only so many contractors out there that do this kind of work. And as, even as it turned out, when we were going forward, we, had, uh, we ended up with a, a cost overrun on bidding because things are tight. It's hard to get these people to come in. That, so, so I'll just give you so go ahead. one little one little takeoff from that. So, like like I said earlier, the the requirements are the contractor builds these three bridges in a certain time frame for, for the amount of money that he contracted with us. So, say for example, you did say that he had to build all three at the same time with three crews. Now your local contractor, Ferguson Construction, doesn't have that many people. Can't even bid on the job. So now you're knocking out your local competition. We can't do those kind of things. We have to do this open to have as much competitive 
this into the process so that we can get the price that we want and the right people. Um, that's just, this was the low bidder. This is the, the, the contractor that got the project because he said he could do it for the lowest cost, and that's what dictates how we award bids. Not we, ODOT. Well, ODOT. And, and us too, I mean, our whole process, we have to do it. But yeah, in this case, in this case, ODOT, yeah. So it's a staffing issue? They don't have enough staff to do the job? No, when, when ODOT bid the project, the project was bid as a set of, of projects. It, three bridges one year, three bridges another year. Yeah. And so it was a case of to be able to get economies of scale, to be able to, I mean, rather than have six different contractors, having a set of have one contractor that does them all. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the price is going to be less than if you were to have. For sure, I get that part. And so that was the the. I'm assuming that is the reason why when ODOT put the project bid package together, that it was to be able to accomplish in that fashion. Yeah. Plus, plus six contractors working around each other at one time. No, I'm not talking about six different contractors. I'm talking about the same contractor with enough staff to work three different projects at the same time. So in, in this case, they are, they are contracted with ODOT to deliver this project by the time frame which Cindy had outlined early on. Yeah. And so that is, as to how they accomplish that, that is between the contractor and, and ODOT. So that's okay. the that's the you know as as to when the the contractors employees are on site and when they're not. That is that really comes down to an issue between ODOT project management and and in this case the contractor themselves and and when they put people out there on the on the project and when they okay. Do. Well, and, and, and generally these things also just come down to money as well. If there had been a larger pool of money available, you could have said, we want this done by January 1st. And then, but if you'd had maybe three times as much money, you could find a company that has that much more staff and be able to do it that quickly. I mean, it's all, you're balancing, you're, you're balancing a lot of elements and one of them is money. This is an extraordinarily expensive project, most of which has been grant funded, but the city is putting in a, a good sum. So you know, you can always look it's it's kind of you can't say that there what could have been no other way. Um, there's always another way. It generally has to do with giant bags of large denomination of dollars. If if you want to speak to the issue, could you come up to the microphone, please? And also, is, it, is there anybody else that's going to uh, be interested in talking? But so yeah, I just want to make sure. Everybody... But you're you're talking about this issue, correct? Yeah. I, I yeah. Just, okay. The the thing that I think that his problem is, and the problem that I've had with it, and that other people have had with it, is that all yeah. that chain link fencing over there. And you go to walking around down there, and you're trapped. There's no way out on the ends of those streets where where uh, uh, Betsy Lennon's beauty shop is, for example. You'll get stuck behind all that. There's no way to get back out onto the side of the street. You will end up walking all the way back down to the next block and all the way around because the way those chain link fences are, you can't walk. You can, once you're in there, you're in there, and there's only one way in, one way out. And that, to me, is wrong for a 
pedestrian standpoint and from a business standpoint. How is anybody supposed to get to anybody to spend their money if they can't navigate these fences? And there's no sign saying which way to go. Okay. I just don't think all those fences should be surrounding that whole thing. There's nothing going on there. Okay. Thank Could you. you state your name and address because uh, this is all taped and we, we oh. don't have any other way to keep notes, so we need to well, make I'm, I'm Michael Martin and I just, I'm living here in Astoria. Was, was just wanted to interject as well okay. on this issue. I'm actually here to speak on the homeless issue. Okay. Get my all right. Okay, thank you. I'll reply to that really quick because it was it was a really good point because um, that's came up before. One of the things that, that people will soon realize is that these uh, existing bridges have to be removed to build the new ones. So when when that's removed, you'll see why the fences are there because there's going to be a hole into the river and we don't want people to fall into there. So it's for security purposes and, and so that the contractor has a little room to, to walk around and work. Okay. Let's let um, some of these other folks speak, please. Real quick on that security issue, I've seen people climb that fence at night. Mm -hmm. So it's, the security is going to get real interesting when there's a giant hole. <laughs> Good evening. I'm Karen Allen. Steve Allen, 90850 Kennedy Road of Warren, Oregon. And we are the owners of Astoria Brewing Company, and we're talking about the pub, which is located on 11th Street, former wet dog. And we also own the Pier 11 building and the fish market, where Phil is a tenant, along with Alicia with Naked Lemon. Um, to me, I understand about the bridge project. Yes, we were told. But the big issue is parking. Our personal parking that we purchased with Pure 11 in the fish market building has been taken away along with the Pure 11 dock that we control taken away along with seven parking places on 11th Street. 19 parking places gone. Astoria Brewing Company depends on walk-in customers. 100% of that business is by people coming in the door, along with Inferno Lounge, The Good Bowl, Smoke Bones Barbecue, The Naked Lemon, Treasure Alley, Creepy Beautiful, and Astoria Brewing. All of those are 100% walk-in customers. It's not an office. People have to have a place to park. In Astoria, which we found, and one reason why we bought Pier 11 was for more parking. Um, we are now down to five parking spaces at the beginning of 11th Street, which is shared by H&R Block, Hyde Air Company, uh, Columbian Theater, and JP Plumbing. Anyone else that wants to come to our business, there is no access on the back street, which was the trolley line. There's no parking. It's all rented to private people. And so to me, the issue is parking and being cut off from the Riverwalk. Um, we depend on it. So far, our business, yes, it has been down. Steve and I will survive. But we are looking at real numbers, a minimum of a loss of 100000 to $200,000 by the time this project is over for one business. They would add numbers to that. A lot of numbers. Our numbers are much bigger because our business is much bigger and has 
a much larger volume. But for us, it is huge. It's out of our personal pocket. We don't have grants, shareholders. It is us. And we have risked everything to help develop the waterfront. And yes, it is a big problem. And I understand that this project must go on. But help! When you guys think of going to dinner, come to our place. Go to Smoked Bones, Bakery, go to Naked Lemon. Help us, please. Remember us. And, and again, we're not engineers, and so you know, to us it's just been very frustrating to see the three hours of work, maybe, or the, you know, we, we wanted a big crew out there too, but you know, we, we understand. Thank you. Jeff, do you have any ideas about parking? <laughs> and yes everything she said is true um, to construct this project we did have to cut off the, the access to the pier 11 parking on 11th Street and take some of the on-street parking um, I am open to ideas for what to do about that Okay. Anyway. I don't have an immediate fix, but I have a suggestion. The old Safeway hole turn that into a parking garage. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, just in general. Chris, did you have uh, something? Yeah, I do. I'll give it from a customer standpoint. I was just at the Astoria Brewing Company. Actually, one of my favorite restaurants. Thanks, you Thank guys. You. Thank you. And it's really dead down there. And I was going to come talk to you on Wednesday about that, uh, Mayor, at your uh, monthly meeting. Um, I'm really concerned about the businesses down there. It's just pitch black down there. It's just dead. Nobody's walking around. It when you come to those street stubs that made marine there. You just see chain link fence down there, and if you don't know what's there and that you're going to go there regardless, like I am, you just go somewhere else. And, you know, I had to park somewhere down on Marine, and, and I walked back there because even if you're lucky enough to get one of the few parking spaces that's left on 11, what are you supposed to do to turn around? You hit a chain link fence there, so you got to use JP's driveway. How do they feel about it? everybody pulling into their driveway and backing around you know it's it's I know not a lot can be done about it physically and some and it has to be repaired but I really do think the city should work diligently with the business owners to make some signs there that make it look like they really are active like what Cindy was saying earlier a smiley face. I hate those things. Don't use a smiley face. Think of something else. But come up with something that lets people know, hey, there's businesses down there and they're really good businesses and they're open and they want your business and you'll probably get good service because hardly anybody's going there right now. So, I mean, you really need to do something for these people. It's really hurting business down there. And I don't know what the answer is, but I'm telling you, I've noticed it for a long time since those chain link fences went up. And they're way extreme 
They're not needed right now. We could have been walking up and down the trolley there. Wait till the hole's there. The day before the hole develops, put your chain link fence up then and take it down as soon as the hole's filled. Don't just have it there weeks in advance like these highways settings you see along the highway where they got all the cones out there for miles and miles but nothing's being done. Oh, we're going to get to it in a few weeks, you know, don't worry about it. Think about the businesses. You really need to help them. It's desperate. Anyone else? I'll just mention to answer part of that question. Um, as far as the, when the fences went up, you know, they, they've been pulling um, all the deck bolts and bringing in lumber. It would have been a tripping hazard. It, it wasn't the best surface to begin with, with all those um, loose boards and everything. Um, there's no way it would have been um, responsible to have it there without a fence around. Thank you. Anyone else before we... My name is Dorothy Olson. I'm at 127 Washington Street. I just wanted to second what he had to say about more parking downtown. Um, I know a lot of the people that hang out down there, and they, they're not exactly the cleanest people, but yeah, trash rolls into there, and other stupid drunk people throw stuff into there. We need to do something about it. It looks gross. You know, it, it makes us look trashy, I guess. And I think that if we can spend a million dollars on taking all the grass and trees out of a park, um, you know, and turning it into a Scandinavian heritage monument at People's Park, maybe we can convince them to spend a little less money on all that paving and put up some flags and spend all that $900,000 on building something for parking and dedicate that to the Scandinavian heritage. I think that would be great. Anyway, oh, and rope lights. I think signs and rope lights at night would attract people to come down there. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Alicia? Hi, my name is Alicia Ned, and my address is 1432 Franklin Avenue, Astoria. I'm the owner of the Naked Lemon Bakery in Pier 11. Um, and I guess I just wanted to also second some of the issues that have been brought up by my neighbors down there, and then also kind of give a rough estimate of you know, the, the loss of business, at least for us at the bakery, has been about 33%, sliding into 50% in, um, in profit loss. So it's been, it's been really hard to work around, and we know that it is a reality that has to be done. And I also want to take this time, too, to thank both of you for keeping in touch with us about things as much as you can. There's a lot of places that don't do that, so I appreciate at least the lines of communication being open. Um, there are a couple things, though, that I do have a problem with in the way that the city does handle certain things. Um, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, how the Chamber of Commerce has stepped forward and said that we're going to help you guys with advertising. The ADHDA has, too, and they're both fantastic groups in our community to really bolster small businesses. But I do think that we're leaving out an aspect of both of those groups, and that being you have to be a member of it. Um, I think the Chamber of Commerce is helping out people who aren't members and don't pay yearly dues, 
but I don't know exactly what that looks like, and I don't think um, the Chamber of Commerce has actually approached the Pier 11 building with a game plan with it, and neither has the ADHDA. And I know that the road works both ways with that, but I think what's, what's problematic that I see is that I think that like Cindy had said previous, the city's stance is not advertising local businesses or showing a favoritism towards promoting specific small businesses. And I think that that's a problem when we have an issue like we have now where the city and ODOT is causing us this problem where we have to go out and work with the Chamber of Commerce or become a member of ADHDA and pay out more money and pay more funds to have certain groups help us out with advertising. And I don't think that that's fair, and I don't think that that's a route that we should heavily rely on. I think that the city owes at least, at least a sit down about it specifically to see what solution can be brought about in terms of this happening. Um, and that's the only thing that I have to add to the situation. I'm just sitting here trying to think what what we might be able to do, but I'm. I mean, I, mean, I think that um, you know that this is something that that uh, staff um, you know will go and take a look at what can be done, uh, brainstorm some different ideas, uh, have conversations with our uh, with our partners, the chamber and the downtown association, and, and you know look and see what is what is possible and what is uh, what is doable. But what I was going to say, if everybody in this room said, we'll go down and have dinner at the Wet Dog, and we'll go buy some bakery goods from Alicia, and we'll go buy some barbecue. Uh, I mean, if everybody in here would spread the word or get the newspaper to do a story about how these businesses are suffering. And, you know, this is a great town. We can, we can do this. We can support you. And if, if everybody does their own, their part. I think that's a great outlook to have. However, I think that we do still rely on tourism coming through the Riverwalk area. And I think that for locals to be allegiant to small businesses is great. And I think all of us in this room going and doing the part is awesome. But realistically, I think the signage can really be improved and helped and worked upon with extra money. Um, and I think that, again, like I love the partnership of the ADHDA and the Chamber of Commerce, but what it's coming down to is not everybody in that building is an active paying member, um, and dues are required for both of those groups. Okay. Um, so, yeah. yeah, and as for promotion, I think that you know it's, it's heavily promoting to say, go there, and, uh, and we should go there. Yes, I'll go there, I do go there, but, uh, but I, I just, you know, I think about the you know the signs that have been on uh, the fence here around Safeway. Those banners are made by a local company. They cost about 300 bucks. I mean, just one of those on each of the ends and the front that it advertises all the businesses and has you know some nice signage and says enter here, go there, and also some lighting. Obviously, is really important. I know that it's very dark down there now. And, um, and there are ways to do that. And I, I just don't understand, I really don't understand why the city uh, can't 
can't, and I, I'm glad to hear you say that you will work with it. I'd like to help you with that. I, I think that we shouldn't have to expect these businesses to be members of any organization. They're members of Astoria, they're residents, they're small businesses here. They've contributed a lot to the city, and, and I think that um, unless there's some legal reason, specific legal reason why we as a city cannot uh, put up good signage and good lighting that directs um, at anyone in there. Yep. We, should, we should do it. It's a very minimal amount of money compared to what the losses that they are suffering on their businesses and that it's, it's dark at 4.30 now or soon to be, et cetera. So. Yeah, I, have, I agree with Cindy. I think that's great. And I'm hoping that when we have an offer from the chamber or from the downtown association to help out that they are not discriminating between who's there, whether they're members or not, because then that's not really helping. No. Um, helping, helping is helping downtown, it's helping everybody. And I don't believe that was the case at all. And I hope that's not the case. It's not, and I, I talked to David Reed about that, and he said they weren't going to discriminate again and just help the people that were members. Um, Let's see, a few points. So we have um, gotten permission from ODOT and the contractor to put banners on their construction fencing in certain locations. Um, what it's kind of come down to is the chamber facilitating that. Quite honestly, I am not a marketer. I don't know what to put on the signs. Um, I could go create one, but I'm guessing there'll be some people that are not happy with that. Uh, we have paid advertising, put paid advertising or uh, a map in the Daily Astoria and the city paid for that. We paid for the signs that are custom Pier 11 um, signs to get um, pedestrians through. So we have invested some funds. We certainly would take um, council direction to invest more money and help coordinate getting some banners up. We did talk to some of the businesses about options of what they could put up to. We're really willing to be flexible. Um, but someone has to take the lead, and so far, I, that is not something that is my forte. So I'll take the lead, Cindy. Okay. Mr. City Manager, um, I would echo um, what some of the councilors have said. You know, I, I think this is an exceptional situation and where, you know, the city really does need to support these businesses right now, however we can. Um, and so if, if you are able to coordinate with the chamber, the ADHDA, uh, and these businesses um, to help create more visibility, um, on 11th Street right now. It sounds like that would really help. And I did see the, the large ad in the Daily Astorian about the businesses being open. And that you know might be helpful, helpful for locals who read the newspaper, um, but for um, the, you know, for example, the, the cruise ships you're talking about and the passengers that might be looking down that street and not realizing that you can go down there um, we need something that's really visible and something that's bright uh, when it's dark out. And so anything that we can do to help, I would fully support. Yeah, the only thing I would add is I don't even know if I think you should take the lead, but I think that with the Chamber and the Downtown Association should take the lead in coordinating with our local businesses on coming up with creative solutions and then you would tell us we need to vote and fund it. No, no, I would, I would say I would be taking the lead in working with and making sure something happens. Okay. You know, that, that I would not be looking at doing it 
I would be wanting to work with the partners and making sure um, something does happen, something does go up, and um, you know, be able to help. You know, we the good news is is that one of the individuals who um, works in the city manager's office um, does have a design eye. Um, Jim Benoit does have that and, and has marketing background, and so I think that that's something that you know, we're going to be able to uh, be able to utilize in in assisting through this. Well, also the people who make the banners are, are designer graphic designers as well, and so the whole you know like the three hundred dollar cost or whatever it is, it's been that. So you know you don't have to do everything no, in the house, but I really appreciate your. Uh, stepping up for the council for us, and and uh, would like to see something happen really soon, like a couple of weeks. We should be able to have some banners up. <clears throat> I was also going to mention that the pedestrian detour map has been posted on the city manager's Facebook page. What maybe we can do is keep reposting that periodically. Well, I, I think there's I think there's what I'm I'm hearing from the council. They definitely want signage, and I think that's the, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. the that's I think the signage and like you know you just think about every time we do something here. We go projects that go on forever, and they're in the newspaper. And I have put posted on my Facebook page all the time, and a website, and you do, and everybody else does. And we have town halls and this, and then you know the number of people who don't read the paper, who don't listen to the radio, don't look at the internet. They they you need signage out there that's every day um, because otherwise there's just no way to get the message out. Otherwise, the message just needs to be there. So, like, like for example, we, a comment was made about the road close sign. Which I know it's you know it's a, like a no doubt standard sign, but when you're standing looking at that sign, you're actually at the entrance to the, the whole business complex. So, if you know we have them there, they see the sign, they realize the road's closed ahead. What am I doing here? And then that's the place to draw them in right there, with the proper signage, because they're literally in your parking lot to see that sign. That's what I'm saying, but there's detour signs from ODOT that turn them around. Because they look, see the road closed, and they see a detour sign pointing them to turn around. Turn, there's another detour, go that way. Turn, all right, go that way. It we'll, we'll literally look loops them around. We'll I can make video it's it's not, I can see it. <laughs> we'll look at it and see if there's a better way. Um, what about, uh, you know how that the trolley track has the map kind of thing of where you're at? Why not put uh, pedestrian access on one of those kind of? visible right there on the tracks or something like that. Yeah, and I think this isn't the time to really brainstorm it, but it sounds like we've got a form yeah, to do that. Cool. But That's all I'm saying. Just bring it up. And, and thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, well thank you very much for this discussion. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, uh, the second item is a second reading of an ordinance modifying city code relating to penalties in the addition of city code. The first reading of this ordinance was held at your October 15th council meeting and the city of Astoria is continuing to experience complaints of illegal parking in the area of 38th Street and Duane Street. This area draws a significant amount of traffic due to a well-known attraction. The council considered raising fees in this area for which minimum illegal parked cars, uh, which will minimize illegally parked cars, improve traffic flow and minimize potential traffic collisions. It's recommended that council consider holding a second reading tonight and if uh, wanting to move forward with adoption, uh, having a motion to approve the ordinance amending city code 
1.010 and adding city code section 6.380. Is there any discussion on this council discussion? I think we should move forward with it. Okay, so uh, we need to have a second reading of the ordinance then. Um, Ms. Brooks? An ordinance revising ordinance 1.010 relating to the penalties and the addition of city code 6.380 relating to enhanced fine zones. Okay, could we have a motion to approve the ordinance? I move we adopt the ordinance amending city code 1.010 and adding city code 6.380. Second. Roll call vote. Um, Mr. Dart McLean. Aye. 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 Thank you. Okay. The next item is an authorization to close the RV dump station. The city operates and maintains a recreational vehicle dump station within the city limits and it's located on Taylor Avenue near the Highway 101 roundabout. The dump station was built in 2004 after two other dump stations were removed. During a city council work session held on September 12th, staff presented information about the dump station and issues associated with its continued operation. I'm going to ask that Jeff Harrington and Cindy Moore from our public works department uh, speak to this issue further and give a little bit more detail. Ultimately, it's recommended that council consider closure of the existing RV dump station beginning December 31st, 2018. Jeff. I'm going to hand out, um, Cindy's going to present her talk. I'm going to hand out this additional piece of correspondence that came in today at 341. Cindy Moore, assistant city engineer. Uh, when we're talking about the RV dump station, um, first I want to go over some of the details that we talked about at the work session related to the wastewater treatment plant. So everything ties back to the wastewater treatment plant. Uh, our wastewater treatment plant is the lowest tech wastewater treatment plant that you can have. It's a lagoons facility um, that uses microorganisms to treat the waste. We chlorinate, dechlorinate, and out it goes to the river. It's an extremely sensitive system. Uh, we recently had a study completed with results that came through um, letting us know that our concentrations have gone up. And the concentrations in the summertime isn't a huge surprise because our CSO program has taken streams and um, and inlets out of our um, out of out of the system, and it goes directly to the river. That clean water goes directly to the river. So in the summertime, we have less of that clean water getting in, so our concentrations have gone up. However, our loads, which means the annual load, how much um, of this uh, material is getting into our system, has gone up. And it's, our population hasn't gone up, so there is an increased load from somewhere else. This has inspired uh, our public works department over really a couple of years to look at our whole system and do a holistic review of our, our service area to try to determine where this, this um, source, these sources could be coming from. And all of this, again, looking at our wastewater treatment plant and trying to maintain the health of our wastewater treatment plant. Um, in this effort, we've gone a number of different ways um, trying to protect our system. One of the things that we did was we sent flyers out to all of our customers in their bill. Um, this think before you flush, your toilet's not a trash can, things that you should be flushing and should not be flushing um, to educate our, 
our customers who are ultimately paying for our wastewater treatment plant operation. We've been working with the breweries specifically to confirm that they're um, operating under best management practices that's specific to their industry. And we've been developing a plan for sampling and doing some testing that takes uh, staff time and funds. So we're coming up with a, a plan for, for getting that done so we can better characterize the waste that's coming into our system. Um, with the wastewater treatment plan, our goal is to extend the useful life of our very low-tech wastewater treatment plan. And we'll be, we're working on a scope of work for some headworks improvements that will um, extend the life and that will be a real investment from the city and from the ratepayers. So when we were looking at our holistic um, review of the system, the RV dump station came to the surface as one of those areas that um, we are vulnerable. Our existing um, RV dump station, there's a picture there on the screen, is uh, pretty basic, it's unmonitored, it's open 24-7, there's no cost to use it. Um, there is a cleanup and maintenance expense, it's pretty minimal. The um, type of waste that, that, we, that is going in there, we really don't know what's in there, but if you were to assume that everyone that was dumping there is dumping um, RV waste, your typical RV waste, that's still going to be a concentrated waste. Most RV users conserve water because they don't want um, to fill up their tank too fast, so that's going to be more concentrated than your average domestic sewage, and then they add chemicals to reduce um, the odors, and that kills the bacteria that's helpful in um, breaking down that waste. Both those things we do not want in our system. Um, and then we are vulnerable because we do not monitor this site to illicit dumping, to possible uh, mystery totes we've heard about, um, grease fats. So I, I'm here to tell you that we don't know that's a problem. It's just a vulnerability at, the, at our site. We, when we talked at our, um, the workshop, the council workshop, we talked about the alternative dump site at Fort Stevens not being too far away and not much of an inconvenience. So we protect our system and people still have an alternative free uh, RV dump station. Uh, we posted this uh, meeting and our proposed RV dump station closure at the site as well as online um, that uh, gave them about 30 days notice it was posted on October 1st. So our, the staff recommendation to close the RV dump station um, eliminates the source of the concentrated waste to our wastewater treatment plant and eliminates the risk and liability and it all comes down to protecting our facilities and those facilities that our customers have invested in. Um, Cindy, is this one email, is this the only feedback that you've gotten since you posted a sign at the site and otherwise? The other emails were included with your well, council packet. other emails, yes, I'm sorry. Thank you. And one phone call. So I think there were four emails and one phone call. Thank you. Sorry. Sure. But that is the only email we've received since your council packet. So, Mayor, that concludes any staff presentation. Okay. I'd like to comment on that. Sure. I'm, my name is Mark Wendt. I live out at 91113 Young's River Road. Um, I actually do use that facility quite a bit. 
my wife and I like to travel, and we have an RV, and I, I do understand what you're saying about we're a little more concentrated on our sewage because we do watch our wastewater. Um, but anybody who's tried to get into Fort Stevens, especially during the summer, knows that that is an absolute nightmare. Especially if you come in on a Sunday or a Monday, you have everybody who's coming down to the coast on tourism, you better plan on sitting there for at least two hours. Um, that is such a convenience to have, I understand. Everything she says about, you know, why in our sewage system, but as a nicety for everybody that uses it, and I know a lot of people that do, I think it needs to stay there. If there was a way that we could potentially put a fee on it, that wouldn't bother me a bit. If, if I can ask Cindy something, um, do we do we know how much a if we if we lose our low cost or low maintenance or whatever it is um, uh, system, how much would the would a new system cost uh, wastewater? You're talking about sewer treatment plant. Mary. Sewer treatment plant. Yeah. Oh. Uh, the wastewater treatment plant. Um, when we did our facilities plan about eight years ago, it was estimated that a brand new treatment plant that would be a mechanical plant, as we call it, would be somewhere in the range of $50 million. Okay. Thank you. I want to add one thing. At that point, too, when we talk about numbers, is you got to keep in mind that we're constantly trying to figure out how to keep rates under control with these extra costs. That's why you know, one of our strategic goals as a department is to, is to get as much life out of that plan as we possibly can. And same thing with our water system. We can try to do everything we can to protect it so we don't have to spend that, that kind of money. Okay, thank you. Again, <clears throat> Seeley 303 West Niagara. <clears throat> I want to go on record to say I'm opposed to the closure of the RV station. I'm an RV owner, and I use that station at least once or twice per month, and sometimes more. In fact, the last time I used it was today about 4 o'clock. So uh, it is, as the other gentleman said, very convenient for us. I know a lot of RV owners who themselves would be here if they knew. Guessing they never saw the signs. It was fortunate I went down and saw it, but those signs were put in after the busy season. So a lot of those people who don't RV often are going to be the ones that who aren't going to know this is going on, and when they drive up, they're going to be pretty disappointed. I had a conversation with Ms. Moore, and I want to say I'm very uh, I'm pleased with the responses I got. She's very candid and very transparent when we spoke. I really appreciate that. I, she did mention it was an open portal, but that's one small portal. Public restrooms are open portals to the wastewater system. Somebody could flush something down those from home, just like somebody, like he said. And this is one small area used by a small group of people, but it has almost no maintenance costs. Our, I mean, we evaporate more water out of our reservoir than we use in the water that's in the hose down there. When I called and spoke to her, I asked her if there was a problem that they knew existed, and her answer was no. <clears throat> I asked if there had been a study to determine if a problem does exist, and she said no. I asked if there was any data to support the notion that a problem existed, and she said no. 
So what we're doing is we're building a straw man here and saying we have a problem here, it is, let's knock it down, and now we don't have a problem anymore. This is a small entry into the system, and I understand that. I appreciate their concern of keeping our system in good shape. I don't want to see us have to spend $50 million, but I can't imagine this one little RV station is what's going to cause us to have to build a new system. Um, they talk about the chemicals that are in there. <coughs> Excuse me, all the chemicals that I know that are available commercially are all 100% biodegradable and are safe for use in septic systems, which means that it's not hurting the bacteria that's in the system. If you can use them in a septic, you can use them here. Uh, any experienced RV owner will tell you that it's not a really good idea to completely limit the water in there, so the concentration isn't probably quite as bad as they think it is because you need some water in there, otherwise it plugs up and you can't flush it out of there. <coughs> um, the part about Fort Stevens, I will stand right behind him and say that. It takes 15 minutes to empty your tanks on a good day. So if you're up there for 15 minutes and there's four in front of you, you've got an hour you're going to wait. And I'm going to tell you, there's times down there, but you know, there'll be four or five down there at the station we have. And today, one pulled in behind me. So thank you. Again, we're all opposed, I think, and we're on the same sheet of music to not have this closed. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is William Olson. This is my wife, Julie Olson. We live at 9253 State Camp Road. What day was it? or just the other day that we found out about it, the only way we found out about closing was we happened to go use the dump station, found a little sign posting that it's going to close, possibly. It was a little disturbing to us because we use it a dozen times a year, traveling up and down the coast when we use our RV. Um, from that dump station, it's almost impossible to use Fort Stevens because you show up at 5 o'clock, they close it when the ranger station closes. It's not open all day long. It's not open 24 hours a day, so you have to go by their guidelines. I agree with everybody here. I mean, if you try to use it, it's impossible. The next closest one for us here is Rainier. South, I don't know where the next one is. There isn't one, as far as I know, if you head south. The pay station down by Wheeler. Is that the closest one? So, you know, it's 60 miles each way to get a different dump station publicly. Um, I know Fort Stephen has theirs, but it's unavailable for the most part for an average user. They want it there for the people that are using the park. When the ranger station closes, it's closed. They close the gates, nobody gets to use it. The other problem that I see as it, we all know the homeless problem around here is a little different. You know, we have people coming and going. Everybody probably has noticed the RVs that just park here, there, and everywhere. If it's not available to them, where are they going to dump their waste? Everybody knows where they're going to dump their waste, right? Where they're parked. I see them use it. You know, they pull in their little RVs, they dump there. It's a busy, busy place during the summer. There's a lot of people that don't know you guys are trying to close it. It's just, you know, you waited till the slowest part of the year for any notification, and then now they're expecting public comment on it. There's three of us that showed up that just happened to be the ones that are using it to have public comment on something that we all pay for in our taxes, we all want to use it, we all are res responsible in what we do. I mean, the gentleman that was talking about the chemicals, they're 
all biodegradable. We all use what's commercially available. Maybe some people don't, but I don't think our little bit of dumping in that system is a great effect on the whole system. Go to our restaurants in the summertime, people are lined out the door. Just the increased public use of our restrooms down here during the summer has probably a hundred times more effect than the RV dumping at that one little station. Thank you. Anything else? I would just like to add that it is a very nice dump station. Um, we go to quite a few of them and they're pretty terrible. Um, but this one in Astoria is one of the best ones we've been to and it's one of our favorites and sometimes we drive out of our way just to go to that one because it's, it's set right, the angle's right, so it's leaning down and it's clean and it's, it's just a nice place to go. So we do appreciate that it's there and it would be very disappointing if it did close. Thank you. So, Mr. Harrington, I've got listening to this, and, and of course, I've, I've noted last time we had the discussion, um, I live right there. So, I watch everything that comes and goes. And, you know, the majority of the people are good actors as far as using it. Not everybody. Um, <laughs> I made the point last time, I just wanted you to be aware of this too, that this got into my thinking too, is that there are some people that, it's like a guy using a toilet, you know, they seem to miss a lot and end up with it all over the place. They, they can't get the hose in the hole. I don't know why, but they don't. And then they just drive away and there's a mess. Now, we clean that up and we, we become aware of it and that's fine too. But I also live there this time of year, and I'm watching all the high school kids that are running right through there almost every day or every other day at school. And if they're running through a place that's, that's not clean, it's a problem in my eyes, because they're getting exposed to something that they're not even aware they're getting exposed to, potentially. So that's a concern, too. So my question, kind of a couple things. One, is it reasonable that, since it is winter, that we delay for a while? Because it's not going to be a lot of use this time of year. It's not like the summertime. And we have a little bit more flow going in. So that we can look at this problem a little bit closer and, and see if we can come up with a solution to maybe mitigate the use by bad users or, you know, have, have a, and maybe it becomes a, a pay-to-use pay system that you have to put the quarter in and it, the door pops up. Um, and just kind of go down that road and take a little bit closer look at it. I know that I've, had, I've been having conversations with Mr. Harrington about this too. And there are some commercial people that want to use it as well. And there are some issues with that um, that we haven't even talked about here uh, commercially that are of concern. And I'm not sure what we can do to I can go down that road and mitigate that. But, and I just want to point out one other thing that in our conversation is it happens to be, happens to be the location of this one relative to the sewage plant. And I own a boat, so I, I know what, I have the same sort of system that you deal with. And I know what comes out of there. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty strong stuff. And it really doesn't have much time to dilute 
before it gets there. And we get kind of lumps of stuff that don't process very well, and that's another point of concern. But if you could talk a little bit more. Um, so about I did talk to a lot of different agencies that either um, accept RV waste, um, in industrial pre-treated waste, or, uh, or don't, or have closed. And, and we know a, a while ago there was a, a pretty big um, series of closures on the I-5 corridor, different RV um, stations. Part of the reason that ours is so popular for out-of-staters because they have very, like, like the gentleman said, very limited places to discard their, their waste, um, especially um, for free. So, um, and I do agree with the fact that it is a very small amount. It's the fact that it's, it's uncontrolled. In order to control and monitor the use of it, um, what most cities have done is moved the RV dump station to their um, wastewater plant. That's not really a good option for us because all these people have to traverse through Holbrook and down a very narrow road, and then we have a lock gate. Um, we don't have, you know, we have open ponds where vehicles can drive in, and we don't want people to be doing that. Um, so that wasn't an option for us. As far as the location in the system, it's not a bad location. It's pretty far. It's about halfway. You know, it could be further away from the plant. It's pretty far away from the plant, so it does have, have time to deliver. Um, as far as the industrial, um, you know, some cities that, that have had experiences with um, industrial waste coming into their dump stations, they're getting a lot of um, plastics, let's say, for example, carpet cleaning plastics that clump up. And in our system, you know, Warrington, for example, they, they have a mechanical plant. A lot of cities have mechanical plants. They can screen that stuff out. With us, it's pretty much going to go through the plant out to the river if it doesn't settle out in our lagoons. Because this is just a complete, you know, it's like a large septic system, basically. It's just a, you know, open lagoon instead of a tank. And then instead of going to the drain field, it goes out to the Columbia River. Um, but, but our goal in, in the, the intent of our permit is that when it goes out to the Columbia River, it, it meets the limits that the state has set upon us. And that's what's happening now. We're bumping up against those limits. We're actually having exceedances, not violations, but exceedances. We're, we're topping over the numbers every once in a while, which is a bad place to be. So when that happens, you fight really hard to, to bring those numbers down. So we've, we've told you before about some of the things we've done out there, like the, we're spending $12,000 a year on, on bugs, microorganisms that are helping digest, and that's, that's proving to be very beneficial. And while we don't know the exact impact, and it would be a very expensive study to, to get the samples and, and, and figure out exactly the impact, we know that, that it's probably not helping. So we're just looking for, for all these different ways to try to help the system out. So it, it's, it's kind of risk management. And maybe there is a way to study it further over the winter and, and delay it. We're open. We're just we're just uh, making a recommendation based off what we're gathering up from the scientific community and, and all the different agencies we talk to and what everybody else is doing and what the best practices are to protect the plant. Yeah, you know, and that's why I'm thinking just some more time to study this. And I think it was a pretty good point, and maybe talk about this that because of the increased tourism, we're adding hotels and motels, and there are more toilets being flushed and and uh, more people eating out. It's, it's pretty vibrant, except for that <coughs> one street. Um, that, that, too, it's like you said, the population hasn't changed much, but the summer population, the tourist population, is, is gone. And you also talked about the breweries and, and working with them. And, and, you know, until we know 
we got a good handle on that and understanding what that effluent is. So again, because um, there's multiple sources of industrial waste, and, and we're looking at all of those and we're talking with different people. We're at this stage. No, we're not. We're not required to be in an industrial pretreatment program. We're trying to avoid that. So we're we're doing voluntary research and talking to people, and, and for the most part, learning good things. Um, well, I would support the closure of the dump station tonight. Um, I'd like to speak up for all of the people who aren't here tonight um, who would like to affordably be able to flush their toilet in Astoria. And I think that's just about everybody. You know, I mean, it's going to be a terrible inconvenience to some people who came here tonight and spoke very well trying to defend the closure of the dump station. But for the greater good of Astoria, we need to do what our public work staff is recommending and extend the life of our sewage treatment plant. There's a couple of things that the city does that are the most important things that the city does that everybody takes for granted, and that's bringing clean water into our homes and having a place for the dirty water and other things to go. Um, and, you know, I don't think that we should continue to have an unchecked free RV dump station so tourists can come and dump their crap so the ratepayers in Astoria have to pay more money. That's ridiculous. Well, just, just to be clear, what I'm talking about is looking at the possibilities of minimizing that impact, getting a little, making sure we have a, a good, strong argument about the impact it does have. And I think finding a way um, finding a way to, you know, pay the play on that too, because it does, you know, it's, it's Astoria is pro using its system, it's providing it for free to anybody that comes along. So it's great if you live in Astoria, but, you know, we're also servicing people from all over the place for nothing, and, and I, I agree with you. I just want to make sure that if this is a potential small potato, and that it may not have the impact either way that's going to make or break us. I just want to be sure of that before we take something away that is a service. And we and we are a you know we do have a pretty strong tourist economy. You know we, we do want to help support that too. And as long as it's not hurting us and we're clear on that, then I can see the uh, good argument for leaving it open. If if the scale is tipping the other direction. I don't have any problem with closing it. In fact, for me personally, it would be a benefit. But I think that's a, a really good point, but every time we talk about doing anything proactive in the city, we talk about our resources. I mean, if, if we're going to continue to study you know, the RV dump station, it's going to take resources. It's going to take time and money. And out of all the things that we could spend time and money on, I don't want to spend any time and money on studying, you know, the RV dump station. And even if we did come to some conclusion, you know, on it, it's still not going to change the fact that it's an unchecked site. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe, you know, I, I respect our public works staff enough to value their recommendation, and I don't see any reason, you know, why we wouldn't approve it tonight. Any other discussion from the council? Well, I, I, um, 
I, I would be willing to support, I'm ready to support the closure tonight too. I, I really didn't, hadn't thought of the commercial uses uh, of this free dump station. It didn't occur to me that there are people who live, um, you know, who are, who are residents here, at least of Classic County, or who are using it, uh, you know, several times a month. Um, I, I just thought it was a, I really just thought of it as a convenience for tourists and for occasional residents who are going out of town. So I think it seems to be getting a lot more use than I thought. And um, yes, it was the thought that was going through my mind is that I, uh, one of the things that I've learned in my four years here on council is that our public works department, uh, I have, I just have a lot of faith in them. They're transparent, they're honest, they look at things very carefully before going forward. And um, so I'm willing to accept their recommendation. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't like the idea of taking away this convenience from Estrella residents, but I do think that in the summer months, I'm suspecting that the majority of the what's being dumped in there is from people driving up and down the coast that are not residents of the city of Astoria, and I don't think that we should uh, have that strain on our system provided by people that are passing through town. Um, if, if the council was not in favor of the closure, I would say at the minimum, I would want to see us put a uh, you know chain link fence around the place and have a have a fee system in place where anyone from out of town, you just put a, like you do with the parking meter in Portland, put your credit card in and pay your $25 per, uh, per usage, but that's an expense, that would be not a resource-free choice to put a system like that in place. That would cost money too and probably require a monitor. So I'd be in favor of the, uh, the closure. I would make a motion, Mayor, if you would like. I move the City Council close the existing RV dump station beginning December 31st. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Okay. Item C uh, is a request to trim trees on city property. Paul Stoll, who is the Owner of the property at 211 West Kensington Avenue submitted an application to trim trees on City of Estria property. This property is to the west of the stoles. The trees to be trimmed are big leaf maples and appear to have been trimmed in the past. The applicant has hired an arborist uh, to do the work. Should council agree to approve this request, staff has recommended two conditions which are uh, listed in the memo which deal with uh, erosion control issues and the tree reduction height should be no more than 25%. Based on the information presented and uh, including the site visit by city staff, it's recommended that the request to trim trees on city property be approved. Any council discussion? Do you have a motion? I move that the request to trim trees on city property be approved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Okay, this next item um, is a letter that I received uh, wanting uh, uh, us to look at. Where's the letter? Um, protecting America's public lands. And uh, I was just curious whether this. Council would be interested in signing it or not, and 
uh, it's directed toward uh, our senators, our representatives, uh, U.S. House of Representatives, and the U.S. Senate. So, um, should I read it, or do you all have a copy of it? Or? Yeah, we have a call. Okay. What's, what's your feeling? Yes. Um, who's the author of the letter? You know, right after I put this thing on here, I was looking back on my emails and I couldn't find well, it. Well, that, that was my note. That was my concern. We, we don't, I don't know who this is from, so without... I can appreciate the intent. Um, I'm just kind of wondering who were, whose letter we're signing if we were to do so. Okay. Any other comments? Well, I mean, I would agree. I agree with the sentiment in the letter, but I, again, if, it, if this is a letter from some political action committee or other political group, I would just like to know who it is. I don't know. I went back and looked through all my emails and couldn't find it. So, yeah. Okay. All right. We'll just drop that one. Thank you. Um, okay. At this time, we're open for. Uh, that's the end of our agenda. So we're open now for public comment. If anyone has anything that they want to talk about. Bowers, uh, 357 commercial. So back to the homelessness issue and uh, the, the sweep. But I really want to, I would like to spend most of the three minutes complimenting people, but I wouldn't have time to address what I really want to address. But in particular, Chief Spaulding and Officer Hansen just doing a fantastic job with that. And again, I'm going to be mentioning CCA and, and Liquid Hands. They do a fantastic job too. But my concern was people who fall through the cracks, and I just want to talk about one. And this was the last day of the, the we surrender encampment over on the other side of uh, American Legion. I happened to be walking by and encountered a woman who was fairly frantic, no place to go. And she had talked to, I believe, Officer Hansen. And the group had, been, had agreed to be out by 10 o'clock that night. So we walked her over to CCA, my wife and I walked her over to CCA, and uh, it was just fascinating to see how she collapsed. She couldn't even say, I have no place to go. I mean, just that power structure between the wonderful receptionist and CCA, it was just fascinating to watch this unfold. So my wife, Nell, was there, and she helped her get out that I have no place to go. And, uh, the stumbling block turned out to be that she has a comfort dog that's a letter, she's got a letter from a doctor, but she has a comfort dog. So helping hands can't take her, the rescue mission couldn't take her, she was just looking for a place to stay. One night she evidently grew up in, in Astoria but was heading to Texas. And there was nothing for her. They tried to figure out, is a kettle available? Uh, they're closed that day, and she immediately said no anyway. And I talked to a licensed social worker who said it'd be asking, like asking a blind person to say, give up my seeing-eye dog for some period of time. Not going to happen. So we ended up leaving her, 
and she was going to find some, basically, hole to, to crawl into for the night. So there are gaps, yeah. in spite of just the wonderful services here. And I just want to keep making those visible. And that's it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Anyone else? I'm Michael Martin, and I've been working on uh, a homeless project for about seven years now um, in terms of trying to get our federal government to craft a bill that will address the bulk of the entire problem. It's not a city council problem, it's not a county government problem, it's not a state government problem, it's a federal government problem when we have American citizens that have no place to go. Um, and, and they're in harm's way. There, there, you know, there are people that abuse these people, there are people that assault these people and stab them, catch them on fire. Uh, and to ask someone to leave a tent when they don't have any place else to go uh, and go someplace else, which they may not, anything can happen. You're very vulnerable out here. I've been out here for eight years. I've seen all kinds of things. And it's wonderful to have a city council that listens as well as you folks. I think we struck a nerve somewhere the last time I was here when we spoke. And, and I'm thankful to see that that's happened. I've had uh, uh, Officer Spaulding come up there and take pictures of this big mountain of stuff that's been up there for about, I don't know, what, 10 years. Um, and and it just, it, it's like we're finally getting it out of there now because uh, somebody brought us a dumpster and they're saying, hey, okay, you know, this, this is right, but it's a two-way street. It's not just about the homeless people in the city. And it, it's about, everything that goes with it. It's a very complex situation. Like this gentleman was mentioned, this lady with a service dog. These, these organizations that are private sector, uh, if, if, if the city council can find a way to take the authority away from those private sectors and put it in a government entity such as the city and create a halfway house program utilizing the, the rescue mission building that we have here allowing people to get on their feet rather than say, okay, you can only take a shower at a certain time, you can only eat at a certain time, and when you get up in the morning, you have to take all your stuff with you. Well, how is it impossible to get a job? And I was on DOT property up here. I suppose DOT policy is 90 days after their warning, so I could have stayed up there um, and, and been under DOT rules for a lot longer. As it was, the city's decision for a camping ban and, and uh, trying to get into housing and everything. It, 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 it's another vicious cycle that I've gone through where I've managed to miraculously get sustainable employment here somewhere and, and save some money and almost get on my feet. And right when, some, right when I'm getting ready to get there, I mean, along comes something that, well, you have to move. And you have no place to move to, so you have to give up your work. So all the money that you have now, you have to spend. Uh, last night, my expensive bicycle was stolen. It saves me shipping it. I wanted to keep it. Some kind soldier gave me a bicycle. Anyway, when the city takes it away from the private sector and says, look, we're, we're going to take care of these people like human beings and use medical ethics in our policies, then we'll begin to solve the problem, like that lady with the, with the service dog. And I hope you guys continue on. And on Thanksgiving, let's be thankful for the fact that we listen and that we can treat people like human beings. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? 
and Dorothy Wilson and 127 Washington Street, I was the instigator of the protest down there, and there was an article written called uh, Basic Boiling Point that I wrote a letter in response to. Um, I'm not sure that that'll ever get printed, and I had to change it a bit, but I'm going to go ahead and try to get it out here in these couple minutes. Um, I live in a house. The, the plan outlined to pass the camping ban at the last city hall meeting might have been a misunderstanding to anybody who wasn't here. The city council, you, got, you guys passed the ordinance to change it because, from what I understood, the promise of offering those other options for people who fall through the cracks with their animals, you know. Um, and until Uniontown was supposed to open up, that, would, that seemed like a legitimate option, you know. It, to win-win, CCA provides tax receipts to uh, local motels, KOA for unused spots. It's a win-win. Everybody manages to equal out there. Well, because that was a misunderstanding, I proposed that the city may designate, maybe designate a couple of pieces of wooded land um, near a bus line, uh, as well as a lot for people who are stuck living in their vehicles. Um, you know, with basic sanitation, so we don't have to worry about people pooping in alcoves. It's really gross. Um, <laughs> And at the city, I mean, if we, if we've the neighbors, we fear fires in the woods. We, you know, if you're going to have one of these campsites that you will pay for, that you will sign a lease on, that you will, you know, that's your step up into. I have had rental history because a lot of people don't have this rental history. Um, that that would be, you know, help all of us. All of us as historians have safer lives and more meaningful lives and validation that they are still people. You know, they're not. They're not a lower caste, um, you know, and, and it wouldn't be forever. It would be a temporary solution until suitable housing is built. And then after that, you could use it for tourists. I mean, imagine having city camping. Like, I'm from Wausau, Wisconsin. There's a, there's a park in the middle of town where you can camp. Now, um, in every social class, there are jerks who flick cigarette butts, who litter, who steal, who are excrementally ignorant after a night of excess. And I've, I've witnessed more house locals than I have homeless people peeing in alcoves and putting their cigarette butts out in there. Drunk guys coming out of the bar, I can't make it to the bathroom, there's an alcove, okay, nobody can see me. You know, no, we, we know it's you guys. Now, if you're here and you know anybody that does that, please tell them to stop. You know, and. The, this, the ban on camping and the ban on parking make houselessness way harder than it already has to be. A lot of these people are sucking it up and they're just trying to get back on their feet. And we could give them an option to do so. And when, when we got the housing bill, it's a tourist attraction. Come on and camp in the city woods of Astoria. Thank you. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay. Then uh, this meeting will be recessed. We're moving into executive session.